So we are reading from Mark chapter 5, and it's uh, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power that had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone, <clears throat> some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in, in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power uh, of your word, uh, the power it has uh, to raise the dead, and the power it has to change our hearts. God, we pray that even now, as we study your word, that same power would be at work in our lives, uh, and that we would follow you uh, as these disciples and these early believers did in faith, knowing who you are and what you can do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When it comes to uh, trust and having faith and confidence in someone or anything, uh, there are certain levels to that, aren't there? That we don't number this, we don't have like level one, level two, but, but we understand that we certainly trust some people more than we trust others. Take, for example, uh, imagine being out in town, maybe at the park or something, and, and you and your family are, are trying to make your way uh, back home. But you're, you're juggling a lot of things. I don't know if this happens to you or if it's just those of us that have you know, more than two kids, so we're outnumbered. But it happens to me all the time that we're juggling something and we can't, we can't keep it all together, right? And so imagine uh, you know, you're talking and you're saying, hey, we've got to make our way home. And, and one of the two of us needs to take this $20 bill 
and go to the pizza place and pick up a couple pizzas for dinner, right? Imagine a friend of yours overhears you talking about that and says, hey, look, looks like you've got a lot going on. Can I, I'll take that 20 bucks, and I, I'm already heading that way anyway. I'll pick up the pizzas, and I'll drop it by your house, right? Man, that'd be nice, but you've you got to trust him to hand the $20 over, right? But you say, okay, this is a friend. I'll trust him. I'll give him the $20. Well, imagine the details of that situation change just a little bit. You're in town, and you're, you're talking, and, and you're talking to maybe your spouse or a friend, and, and you're in the process of buying a new car. And you've been looking at this car for a long time. You've been talking about it, thinking about it, and, and you've got the one picked out. You've test-driven it. It's, it's good. You're ready to go. But the dealer says, I, I can only hold it for you through the end of the day. And so you've gone to the bank, and you've got the, the cashier's check, and, you, and you've got a $10,000 check in your hand. But you didn't write the, in the two-line who it was for because you couldn't remember the, exactly how to spell the dealer's name, whatever. So you have a blank $10,000 check in your hand. But the problem is, it's getting close to closing time, and you have a bunch of other things you were supposed to do, and so you're trying to figure out, how am I going to get this check to the right place at the right time? And that same friend you were willing to trust with 20 bucks to go get some pizza now offers to carry that blank $10,000 check to the dealership for you. Would you do it? Would you hand it over? We understand there's different levels there. I, I, the worst that comes with somebody takes your 20 bucks is that you're out 20 bucks and pizza's a little bit late because you've got to go out later, right? But if somebody walks off with $10,000, that's, that's a bigger deal, isn't it? Or take it this way, maybe you're out of town and you can't take your dog with you and so you're looking for somebody to keep your dog for the weekend. Okay, that, that's a certain level of trust. You want them to take care of your dog, but what if you're going to leave your kids at, while you're out of town? Is it the same person you leave your dog with that you leave your kids with? Are there different levels of trust? We see how this works in our lives and we see how this... Uh, different relationships we have, we may trust a little bit deeper than other people. There are levels or degrees, not that we can count or, or number exactly, but there's a $20 level and a $1,000 level and a kid's level of trust in our relationships. How much more then, when we come to Jesus, do we need to evaluate what's our level of trust? Is, is there a line with Jesus that we'd say, I'll, I'll trust you up to this point, but not to this point. You could be my $20 friend, but not my, my $10,000 friend, Jesus. I, I'll, I'll trust you when, when this is on the line, but if you cross over here, that's too much. That's too much. The, the Gospel of Mark is walking us through accounts of Jesus' life, and one of the things He's asking us to do is to go deeper and deeper in our faith. For, the, for it to, to step up, for us to, to realize that we're called deeper into relationship with Him. We can trust Him. Not just a little bit, but with everything. With everything. The last two weeks, especially in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has made some pretty, pretty big claims about His power and about His control and about what He's done. He, he's calmed the storm. He, he sent out a whole legion of demons out of a man into a group of pigs. But in today's passage, He's going he's gonna to turn it up a little bit. Maybe, maybe two notches up. And asking us, how far will we trust Jesus? Will you trust Him when things are good? When you tr- will you trust Him when things are bad? Do you have faith that Jesus is who He says He is when things are going like you expect them to go? And do you have faith that Jesus is who He says He is when things don't go like you expect them to go? Today's passage is going to push us, push I think all of us, 
to a deeper level of faith. And as we hear this account from Jesus' life, this is the first thing I want you to see about who Jesus is. And the first takeaway for us is that we should have, excuse me, have faith in Jesus' power over life and death. Have faith in Jesus' power over life and death. The, the main portion of our passage today is really two stories that get interwoven together. This happens a lot in Mark where he kind of sandwiches one story in the middle of two others. And the reason he does that is he wants us to, to understand them together and how they relate to one another. So the first story that starts is about a man named Jairus and who has a, who has a daughter who's at the point of death. And he comes to, to Jesus believing that Jesus has the power to heal her. That's his level of faith. He knows, for whatever reason, he knows Jesus has that kind of power. Jairus believed. He had faith. And he humbled himself. He comes and he lays himself down. He comes at Jesus' feet. He falls down before him and asks Jesus for his help. This man was a, a ruler of the, of the synagogue, is what it says. So he was a respected man in society. He's in charge of, of looking over the, the synagogue, maybe the, the, the physical building, but also the, the worship services. He's got some, some leadership in the community. And yet he's not ashamed to come and lay himself at Jesus' feet and beg for his help to help with his little girl. He humbles himself in faith and he believes that Jesus has the power to heal. I love that Jesus, he says nothing in return. He just goes. Verse 24, it just says, and he went with him. He knows this is not a time. He doesn't need a lesson. He just wants Jesus to come. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He, he starts on his way to help Jairus' daughter. But as the, he's going, a whole crowd begins to follow. As it's become common for us in the book of Mark, everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. Because what Jesus is doing is pretty amazing. So everybody wants to be a part of that. So there's a crowd around him. and He's, he's bumping shoulders with everybody, trying to get through, trying to make it to this man's house. And as he does, there's one woman in the crowd who who also needs some help. And she, is a, she too is in need of healing, but a different kind of healing. We find out at the end of the story that Jairus' daughter, who's at the point of death, was 12 years old. And this woman, for as long as that girl has been alive, for 12 years, has been dealing with a discharge of blood. She has been suffering for all these years. And if that wasn't miserable enough, the help she's supposed to have been getting has actually made things worse. It says that she suffered much under many physicians. So the people that were trying to help heal her have actually made it worse. And in the process, they've taken all of her money. It says that she had spent all that she had. So she's not only sick, but she's been suffering. And now she's broke. And more than that, she is an, an outcast in society. For the women of that day in the first century world, Anytime there was a discharge of blood, so for most women, once a month, they couldn't go to the synagogue. But for this lady, she hasn't been to the synagogue in 12 years. Her suffering is a lot more than just a little bit of uh, discomfort. She is suffering in a great way. In verse 28, she has faith, like Jairus does, that Jesus can heal. She says, I, if I can touch His garments, I will be made well. She believes, she has faith that Jesus is a healer. And the crazy thing is, it worked. It worked. 
She cuts through the crowd somehow, some way, and reaches out and touches his garment. And when she touched him, she could feel it. Immediately, she is healed. And what's amazing about that is that Jesus didn't even see it. He didn't even know it was going to happen. He didn't see it. I mean, he knows because it's Jesus, but he, 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 didn't, he wasn't watching it happen, right? He, he didn't even have to know that this was going on, and he had the power to heal. That's, that's power. Power is just right there. It's that accessible. That is power. All the physicians, all the money, all the things of that world couldn't, couldn't help her. But just the edge of Jesus' garment had enough power to heal her. That, that is power that Jesus had. Can you imagine what that would have been like for her? In that split second, all the, the, the stress, all the pain, physical pain, all the, the emotional stress and society stress of being an outcast, all of that is healed in a moment. Jesus had the power just, just to, like, kind of like the tip of his pinky finger, you know, just the edge of his clothes. He had enough power to heal her and to turn her life around. It almost sounds like, like magic though, right? I mean, what's going on with this garment thing? So Jesus is intentional to clarify what happens. He stops in the crowd and the disciples are kind of confused by it. I mean, there's a whole crowd around you. Why are you asking who touched you? Lots of people touched you is the idea. But Jesus knows there's one who touched. And when she touched, she touched with a touch of faith. And it was a different touch. She reached out in faith. And that's where the power came. Verse 32, it says that this woman came in fear and trembling. That's the first time, but not the last time, that word fear will be used. And this time, fear means this awe and respect. This incredible uh, respect for and reverence and awe for who Jesus is. And like Jairus had done, she comes and lays herself at his feet. And Jesus clarifies, it's not the touch that healed, it's your faith. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Made you well is the ESV's way of translating. It's not a better way, it's, it's perfect. But it, that word used there it means both healing, physical healing, and it's the same word used for salvation. He's telling her as she has this encounter, you, you may have come just for physical healing, but something greater is going on. You have met not just a healer, you have met the Savior. And because of that encounter, now this young, I mean this woman has now been healed. She has been saved. She came for healing and she gets salvation. That's power. It's enough, it's one thing to have the power to heal blood. It's another thing for somebody's soul to be saved. And Jesus says, I can do both. That is power, and it's available by faith. She came by faith, just a little bit of faith, and Jesus transformed her life. More than just healed her, He transformed her life. He has the power over life and death, and not just on this earth, but for all of eternity. That's the kind of power that He has. The woman had believed Jesus could heal the sick, but now it comes to a whole new level. She understands there's a more trust to be had, more faith, more to believe. And so she believes and she is saved. But then it goes to a whole nother level. Because as Jesus is speaking those words, somebody comes from Jairus' house and delivers some bad news. The little girl that he was on the way to heal has already died. She already died. She no longer is just sick, but she has died. 
And it's as if in that moment, Jesus looks at Jairus and says, will you go with me to the next level? Will you go with me to believing one step further? It's a big step, but I'm asking you to believe. He looks at him and he says, do not fear, only believe. There's that word fear again, whereas the woman was in reverence and awe of Jesus. Here the word fear is the fear that this is impossible. Previously, Jairus had, had a, a faith, a belief that Jesus could heal, could do, could do something that, that seemed difficult. But now Jesus is calling Jairus to, the, to a faith in the impossible, to something that had never been done. Maybe healings had happened, they had seen this, but nobody has come back from the dead. This, this is a whole different level of faith. When Jesus says, do not fear, he's calling her to something Great, calling him, calling Jairus to something even greater. And he's telling him, don't fear this, but believe it is possible. I'm sure that for a split second, Jairus had a million thoughts going through his head, like anybody would who just got terrible news. But this time, it's Jairus' turn to be silent and just follow. Like Jesus had not responded, had just followed Jairus. Now here it reverses. Jesus says, don't fear and believe. Jairus says nothing, and they just keep going on to the house. He believed somehow, some way, this was going to work out. Somehow, some way, Jesus still is in control. When they get to the house, there's a, a loud commotion. Apparently, it was custom in that day to hire professional people who would mourn somebody who died. And so when they get there, the, the weeping and the wailing has already started. And Jesus stops all the commotion by saying, This child is not dead, but sleeping. The people laugh. They think that's, surely this guy is ridiculous. He's, he doesn't understand. But Jesus is telling us what's about to come. Because for Jesus, death is only as difficult as sleep. That's the kind of power that he has. Everybody else doesn't really get it. They laugh, and so he dismisses them, and he brings just a few people into the room. Peter, James, John, and the little girl's mom and dad. And he walks over to this little girl, this 12-year-old girl, and grabs her by the hand and says, Talitha Kumi. Mark writes it in the original Aramaic and then translates it for us. And his translation is, little girl, I say to you, arise. That, that phrase, I think Mark probably captured that because everybody in the room, as they told this story, they could, they could hear those words coming out of Jesus' mouth. They could hear how they, they remembered what it was like for Jesus to speak to this girl who was dead. And the words he uses here are, are the kind of words that a father would say to a little girl to wake her up in the morning. It's what Aaron would walk into Bree's room and wake her up. It's what BJ would walk into Kai or Keeley's room. It's what Chris would walk into to, to his kids' rooms. And all three girls, he'd walk up and say, little girl, honey, darling, it's time to wake up. The, 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 the simplicity of what us as dads do on a weekly basis, daily basis, during the weekdays, get our kids. As, as hard as that is for us, that, as, as easy as it is, Jesus does that for death itself. He speaks to the little girl, honey, darling, it's time to get up now. And she does. She wakes up. She comes back to life. She truly was dead. But now, because Jesus' power, she is alive. He is calling them to believe, and not just to believe that He can heal, but to believe that He has the power 
over life and death itself. Have faith that Jesus' power is over life and death. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus doesn't just heal, He resurrects? Do you believe that Jesus doesn't just make life a little bit better, He gives new life? He makes dead hearts come to life. Do you believe that about our Savior? Because that's the kind of power that Jesus has. It doesn't just heal, it gives new life altogether. What Jesus was doing here for Jairus' daughter is that He was telling us what's to come. He's giving us a hint, a foretaste of how this book, how Jesus' story is going to end. Because Jesus Himself was willing to give up His life and go through death, He would defeat it once and for all, coming back to life. The reason Jesus has all power over life and death is that He created life and He defeated death when He came out of the tomb. So for all of us who believe like Jairus did that day, that I don't know how this is going to work out, I don't know all the details here, but you say, don't fear, just believe, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. Whatever you say, I'll, I'll do it. For everybody who believes that, we too have new life. Our death has been defeated. We have been resurrected. Even now, we have a foretaste of walking with Jesus so that we know one day when our bodies are put in a grave and Christ comes back, we will be resurrected and we will walk with Him forever. Jesus has the power over life and Maybe you think, okay, that, that sounds good for, for those Bible people, you know. But what about today? <laughs> what about me? What about people like me? I mean, surely they were special. They, they got to see Jesus in the flesh. They're, they're different. This couldn't be true for me, could it? Well, that's why you've got to keep diving into this a little further. To see who, who is Jesus calling to follow Him? What are these people like? And, and could that apply to even me? I want you to have faith in Jesus' power, but this passage also calls us to have faith in Jesus' love for all kinds of different people. Have faith in Jesus' love for different people. This theme has really run through the whole Gospel of Mark, but especially these last few weeks, that His power and His love, they, they go together. <laughs> they go together. Usually, when we are not walking in faith, when we are living in doubt, we're doubting one of these two things. Either we doubt that He can do something, or we doubt that He loves us enough to do it for us. That's usually where our doubt comes in. Either we doubt His faith, I mean, we, we, had, we don't have faith in His power, or in His love. And Jesus invites us to believe in both. And one of the ways He encourages us to do that in Mark 5 is that He takes two very different people and draws them both to faith. Think about these people that Jesus interacts with. Jairus is a, uh, a, a, somebody in the society that would have been well-respected. He's got a position of honor. He, he's, a, he's a man, and he's got a position of, of honor and respect. And yet, the woman, in many ways, is almost the exact opposite, isn't she? Uh, for the woman, for, so we've got a man and a woman. We've got a, a ruler of the synagogue. And then we've got somebody who hasn't been allowed in the synagogue for 12 years because she's been ceremonially unclean. Jairus has respect in the community. She's been an outcast from the community. He comes to her, he come, Jairus comes to Jesus with this very specific, articulated, direct request. Right? He comes in front of Jesus and lays down his request, 
and says, this is what I need. The woman, on the other hand, kind of comes in the back door. She just happens to catch him on the way by. These are very different people. Notice even we get Jairus' name. We, we, he gets a name. The woman, we don't even get her name. She's just a woman who had a need. That's all we get. And here's what's remarkable about Jesus. Jesus had gone immediately when Jairus asked for help. And when the woman touched him and needed his help, he immediately stops and speaks to her too. In both cases, he shows them love. In both cases, he is filled with compassion. In both cases, he is understanding like a father would for a daughter who's about to pass away. In both cases, he shows tender love and affection. And if anything, he actually gives some priority time-wise to the woman who is an outcast and makes the man who is important wait a minute while, she, while he addresses her. That's, that's love. That is love. While others had given this woman, just pushed her out of society and shoved her out, Jesus welcomes her in. And He even calls her family. Did you notice that? He says, daughter, daughter. Remember back to our memory verse last month, Mark 3.35, whoever does the will of my father, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is saying, my family are people who have faith in Jesus. He has made this woman who was an outcast of society, He has made her family. He's brought her in. That's, that's love. That's love. Jesus was willing to go to those who were unclean, to those that the rest of society had put as outcast. Even the, the, the girl, after she died, she becomes unclean ritually, ceremonially in their system. In both places, He touches them. In both places, He heals them. Jesus has this amazing love for His children that is so powerful if we will believe it. You see, Jesus is unique in that in the first, for the first time, when we mentioned this a few weeks back, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, but for Jesus, every other person, when something unclean and clean come together, the clean thing becomes unclean. The unclean rules. That's what happens. Anytime somebody touched a dead body or something in, in the Jewish culture, the, the, the unclean thing made the clean person unclean now. But for Jesus, it goes the other way. When Jesus, the one who is clean, comes in contact with the woman who's not, or the little girl who has passed away and is not clean, He makes them clean. He changes them. Because He has love and power. Do you, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that with all of your uncleanness, all of your sin, all of your problems, all of your pain, all of your sorrows, you can come to Jesus and you're not going to make Him worse? <laughs> He's going to make you better. He's going to change you. He's going to give you a new life. He's going to transform your heart. You'll never believe that. You'll never trust Him that far if you don't believe He has power and love. I think one of the reasons He uses kind of the extremes of society, the well-respected, honorable man, and the woman who's been an outcast, is that He's saying, this is, this is for everybody. This is for the the top of society and the bottom of society. If anything, he, he reverses them. But he's making the point, this is, this is for all kinds of people. He has a love for all kinds of different people. Have faith in Jesus' power over life and death and have faith in Jesus' love for different people. But there's one more major part of this story we haven't mentioned yet. And I think this is really where the rubber meets the road 
for a lot of us. Jesus is already pushing us to deeper faith when He calls us to trust His power and His love, but have you thought about what Jairus must have been thinking in the middle of the story? When Jesus stops, He was on the way, right? He's on the way to go help the little girl. And He stops. And He turns and speaks to somebody else. Now, we don't get any, we don't get any uh, feedback from Jairus, so I'm not demonizing him. I'm sure he's fine. He, he did great. He had faith. But I, I have to imagine that for many of us, if we're in that situation, we, we probably would have spoken up. Or if we wouldn't have spoken up, we at least would have been thinking it. We'd have replayed, didn't I just tell Jesus she was at the point of death? Like, this is urgent, Jesus. We're, we're on the clock here. This other woman has had a problem for 12 years. She probably can make it a few more minutes, maybe another hour, okay? She'll be fine, Jesus. We're on the clock here. We, we got to get to my house because this girl is at the point of death. He said, my little daughter, she's at the point of death. Any second now she could die, Jesus. And she did. She did die. While Jesus was stopped and talking to somebody else, she passed away. Jesus is supposed to be the great physician, right? Like we may have heard people talk about that. He's, he's the great physician. You know what physicians do? Do you know, you know how the, uh, the triage system works in a hospital? Like if two things come into the ER at the same time, it's the, the people's at the desk, that they have to triage this. What's most urgent? So if somebody sprains an ankle and somebody has a heart attack and both of them walk in the well get rolled into the ER, you know what I mean. They come into the ER at the same time. It's, it's that front desk's job to figure out, we got to treat the heart attack before we treat the sprained ankle, right? That's triaging. If you did it backwards and the heart attack person dies, somebody is going to get sued for malpractice, right? If, if this man, Jairus, was, was thinking about this, he, he, he's got a really strong case for malpractice against Jesus. What is Jesus doing? How could He possibly stop and help somebody who's not urgent when there's something urgent going on? Here's, here's I think, the hardest. Sometimes we doubt His faith. I mean, sometimes by faith we, we doubt His power. Sometimes we doubt His love. But you know, I think most often we actually doubt. We doubt Jesus' timing. We doubt Jesus' timing. My call to you today is to trust His timing. Trust His timing. Jairus said nothing, so we're probably safe to assume that he, 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 wasn't, um, he, he didn't lose all his faith, but he probably wasn't too thrilled about that moment. Yes, it was very touching for him, and everybody, everybody, everybody felt probably very emotionally moved when, when Jesus said to the woman who had a discharge of blood, Daughter, your faith has made you well. But I imagine it was all the more poignant, all the more difficult, for while those words are still on his mouth, Somebody shows up from Jairus' house, uses the same word, and said, your daughter has died. Jesus helped this woman, his daughter, but your daughter, Jairus, didn't get the help that Jesus needed, or that, that Jesus could have given you. Ouch, right? Surely that hurts. We, we look around and we say, Jesus, don't you, don't you love my problem? Don't you, don't you care about my problem as much as you care about this problem? And yet it seemed like God... You were busy helping their problem, and you forgot about my problem. 
can, can you not do both? Can, or at least come to mine first? Because mine was more urgent. These people seem to be doing fine, God, but, but where's my help? Where's my help? It's hard to trust Jesus' timing. It's hard to trust that, that He really knows what's best, at least when to do what's best. Jesus was, was coming. He was on the way. This was a good thing. It was in His power, in His control to heal her. He knew he, we knew He could, and He was going to, but He got distracted. I wonder if you can connect with that moment. If you've ever been somewhere where you thought, I know Jesus can do this, and I know Jesus loves me, and yet He didn't show up, at least not when I thought He should, or in the way that I thought He should. I wonder if you can connect with that, with that moment. Now, of course, in, in this story, we have the benefit of, of reading the end of it, right? And most of our stories, at least now, we, we probably don't know the, the, the details of the end. We don't get the benefit of having it all. Now, we know the ultimate end, and that helps us understand, but, but it'd be nice to have the details like this one so we could see how it all worked out. But even though we don't have all the details of all of our problems where we say, why didn't you show up here? I, I think in this story, some of the details help us have faith for our story too. We come to Jesus with all kinds of questions like, how come you didn't stop this? this? This evil thing was happening. How come you didn't stop it? How, how come you didn't stop the coronavirus? How come you didn't stop the economic crisis? How come you didn't stop all the division and strife in our world? How come you didn't keep the marriage from falling apart? How come you didn't stop the abuse or the addiction? How come? Why, God? Why didn't you show up? We ask all those kinds of questions, and so often we, we don't know the answer to it. We don't know why Jesus has planned His timing in His way. But we see it here in a powerful way. This, this story, for Jairus, when he gets to the end of the story, he's experienced a far greater miracle than if Jesus had just done plan A, right? If He had just come and healed her, they would have received and witnessed a miraculous healing. And everybody would have been amazed. But because Jesus delayed, they received and they witnessed a resurrection. An even greater display of His power. And a foretaste of what Christ would do to save all of humanity. Okay, well, that was pretty good. That worked out, right? That was a good thing. But not in the middle it wasn't. Not in the middle it wasn't. Not for all the years of your suffering, of all the years of your crying out for help, all of your sleepless nights, all of your pain, all of your sorrow. In the middle, it's not okay. And you don't feel okay. And you don't know why. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard. Jesus, for this woman, had a plan too, didn't He? It seemed like the urgent thing was the girl was about to die, but... Jesus already knew. He knew she was going to be fine, didn't He? He knew that He was going to raise her from the dead. He, he'd be fine. He actually knew the more urgent thing was the woman in the crowd. Because for her, she had just a little bit of faith, just a sliver of faith. If she'd have just touched His garment and Jesus kept on going, she, she'd have believed in some kind of magical, mystical cloth or clothing or garment. She, she wouldn't have understood. But Jesus stopped. And he gave her attention and focus. And he came to her and he said, Daughter, your touch didn't make you better. Your faith did. 
He addressed her. He, he spoke to her. He got her attention. And now she knows the Savior. That, if that moment wouldn't have happened, she, she'd, have been, she'd have been healed, but she'd have been lost. That was more urgent. We know that from the end, but we didn't know it in the middle. It's a lot harder to see those moments in our lives. We, we want things to be on our time. But Jesus is showing us He can't be hurried. He can't be hurried. You know, I don't know about you, but different people, we all kind of live with a little bit different clock. You know what I mean? Different generations, different cultures. Some of you, if you're five minutes early, you're late, right? Others of us, if we're, if we're on time, we're doing really well, and we're proud of ourselves. If we're on time twice in one day, we're like, man, things are good, right? If you've traveled outside this country, especially Latin America, if you're within like two hours, you're good, right? I mean, like, you're really good. We, as people, we view time differently. How much more should we expect God to view time differently? God created time, and He's like outside of time, you know, He sees it all. So wouldn't we imagine that His timing is not, not quite our timing? Can we trust Him enough to say He's in control, He's got it, and He knows what He's doing? Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus led the disciples through a storm, and it wasn't just that He loved them enough to save them from the storm. He loved them enough to lead them into the storm and out of it to teach them something that they couldn't have learned if they hadn't gone in the storm in the first place. And so it is here with Jairus and his daughter and his family. If Jesus had not delayed, they would not have been able to teach. Jesus would not have been able to teach them what He did. The delay was because He loved them. He wanted to show them something better by taking His time and delaying. And we don't like that. That's not fun. <laughs> but sometimes Jesus delays. He can't be rushed. Sometimes the lesson is that we trust God one step further. We had trusted Him up to this point, but now He's calling us to trust Him one step more and one step more and one step more. And to not have fear in the middle of the delay, in the middle of the waiting, but to trust God through it all. Don't settle for shallow faith of just trusting when things are good, but trust God even when bad things happen. Uh, I didn't ask Scott to read the next part of chapter 6, but I just want to point out one quick contrast there. Because you see in chapter 5, everybody does the right thing. They have faith. They believe like they're supposed to. But the very next section... Is about a group of people who don't have faith. And that it's the very last people that you would expect to not have faith. It's the people that watched Jesus grow up. It's that Jesus goes to his hometown and they discount him. They say, I, I know his mom. He was a carpenter. I know his siblings. We, we, we don't, what can this guy, how can this guy be anything special? They don't see it. I, I love that it does say, you know, except he healed a few sick people. Like, he doesn't do any miracles. Oh, except these, a few in here. Like, even, the, even their lack of faith couldn't fully stop Jesus. Nothing can fully stop Jesus. But he, he's making a point here that without faith, we'll miss out on Jesus. Faith is not inevitable. You don't just come around the church, come around Jesus, and you just kind of get faith by osmosis, just by being around it, you know? It's possible to grow up in church, to live in church, to sit here every week and not have faith. I want to challenge you today that... Faith is not just automatic. You can be around Jesus and not put your faith in Him. 
But God's power, God's love, and God's timing is showing us this is far better than anything else in the world. If you're going to trust in anybody or anything, there's nothing better than Jesus. Faith isn't a guarantee that everything's going to work out like you want it and when you want it. But faith is a guarantee that we know the one who's in charge. We know the one who created time, created our bodies, created everything. And he's going to work it all out for his purposes, for his glory, and for our good. Trust his timing. Trust his timing. Let's pray. God, we're amazed that you would humble yourself enough to come and show us your glory. Father, it is so easy for us to want to be in charge, to tell you what to do, to tell you when to do it and how to do it, because God, we think we know best. So Father, we pray for the humility of Jairus and this woman who laid themselves at your feet and just begged for you to help. God, we trust in your power, we trust in your love, and we trust in your timing. Because, God, we recognize that if it was up to us, we would, we'd mess it all up anyway. God, we recognize that that kind of faith is hard, and we will never create that own, our own faith in our own lives. We need you to bring our dead hearts to life. And we see just as many people in the Bible who are around Jesus and totally missed you. And so, God, we pray that we would not be those people. But God, that you by your Spirit would work in our hearts even now to draw us to faith in you. Because you are good. You are so, so good. I want to give you a moment during this closing song as the band prepares to continue in the spirit of prayer. Where is God calling you to faith in his power? That he can work miracles and he can bring new life where is he calling you to faith in his love that he can do those things for even you where is he calling you to faith in his timing that he'll do it in his time in his way where are you looking to God and making demands when you can instead fall at his feet trust Him. Maybe that takes putting your faith in Him for the very first time. If you want to respond to the Lord, you can there at your seat or here at the altar or come and pray with me. But I pray that you respond to the Lord as He leads you. Jesus, we need you. We need your power. We need your love. We trust you know the right time. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to stand as you sing.